talking about golf this week. So do you, do you know what you're supposed to do on a golf course if, uh, if you're afraid of being hit by lightning? You hold up a two iron because not even God can hit that. Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti. Braden Dollar Coltman is with us as well. We are going to talk about the Stanley Cup Finals. We now know who the final two teams will be fighting it out for the cup. We are going to talk about golf and the new, uh, it's no longer a cold war. <laughs> it is a full on war between two rival organizations, uh, the fledgling one and the old, old, old one. So we will talk about golf and then we're going to play a fun little game. We haven't played a game in a while. We're going to play a fun little game called you can only keep one. Uh, in our third block, and it'll be a little bit of Oilers off-season talk for all of our Oilers fans out there, so stick around for that one. Um, Before we get going, Elliot, uh, the CFL kicked off this week. I know that uh, you are one of our longest CFL uh, patrons, whether your uh, fandom has shifted over the years or not, regardless of that. I know it's a lineage in the family, season ticket holders in Edmonton. Um, Will you be going down to the Brickfield at Commonwealth this year? Are you excited that the CFL is back, or how did that sort of strike you? This isn't a full topic, so we'll keep it brief, but I want to know. Well, it doesn't look like they're very good, so that's that's one of the things that I'm worried about. They gave up 59 points to BC yesterday, so uh, that will certainly impact my decision a little bit. You know what? I haven't been out... Uh, to an Elks game in quite a while, and I was thinking this year it might be a good year to do it. I, just like everyone else in Edmonton, it's like a walk-up town. I'm a walk-up person. If it's 23 degrees and sunny and a beautiful July night, and I've got nothing to do and someone to go with, I may go, but no active plans right now. Well, Braden, you, if you pass your schedule along to Elliot and you both are free on the same night, there you go. He may have someone well, to go with. Yeah, but I might encourage him to come see the Portland Pickles down at Telus Field. Remax Field. Remax Field. No, I you think it's... Been, oh, no, yeah. It's, no, it's now Remax. Right. Yeah, right. It's That's been a while there, too. too. <laughs> well, look at that. Lots of summer sports kicking off. We will talk about some of those down the road, but we have a few pressing things to deal with first. Let's get to it. Here's topic one. So... The hockey season has all come down to this. It is the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. You heard that right. The Tampa Bay Lightning. Back for the third straight Stanley Cup final appearance. They have an opportunity to become immortal, be the first team in this century, and frankly, the first team since the New York Islanders in the 80s to be a three-peat winning Stanley Cup champion organization. That would be fantastic for them. It would be obviously their fourth as a as a team, they won uh, early 2000s. But for for this group, three in a row, that is a hell of a feat, Elliot. Um, New York gave them a, a couple early headaches there, Shosturkin specifically. I think if we look back over the course of the entire playoffs, the two biggest goalie stories have to be Jake Ottinger and mm-hmm. Shosturkin. Obviously, Shosturkin, I think, a shoe in to win the Vesna at this point for what his regular season was, carrying a, a subpar New York Rangers team who had some firepower at some points, but really... N- just a phenomenal performance from him. However, it's the first ballot Hall of Fame goaltender in Andre Vasilevsky, who's now carrying his team to the finals. Will we see a three-peat? Uh, is Tampa Bay just destined for something special here, Elliot? Or does Colorado have enough firepower to slow them down? Man, it's tough to bet against Tampa Bay, hey? I mean, this is every... It feels like every series since... 
this playoff started, I've picked the other guy and they have won every series and, and in some ways kind of handily. I mean, uh, yeah, you, they did give up the first two games to New York, um, but then came home and won the next two and then well, next won the next four straight. Um, I think Vasilevsky is taking them, uh, uh, you know, carrying them at this point. However, maybe that's not even right. Like that, there's just a group of people. You can never discount the winners. If you've won a championship, it means so much. And the majority of people on those have won two. Patrick Maroon's won three. Um, that being said, having watched Colorado directly <laughs> against the Oilers, that team is very good. The only, the question that I have is sort of, Where's Colorado injuries are at? You know, they're playing their backup goalie. Cogliano was hurt. Caudry's gone in for surgery, might be coming back. You know, th- that would be the question going in for me. But I-, I guess you give Colorado a slight favorite, but maybe not because of the injuries. I think this is going to be a close series. All right. I'm going to give you two storylines, Braden. You get to pick which one you think is more compelling. Okay. okay. You have Nathan McKinnon and... Rantanen and maybe Darcy Kemper, if not the other guy who's been just as good. I'm not saying his name because I don't remember it. Francis. There you go. See the other guy. You will remember it. You but will. more specifically, just an unbelievable run from Kale McCarr. So you have that storyline, the upstarts, guys who haven't got there yet, but have all the talent and potential in the world have come up so close and so short. For some of them, it's been a long time. Gabriel Landis Cog's been there a long time. Or you have the chance at a three-peat. As I mentioned off the top, you've got only the Islanders are the last team to do it. And then everyone else who ever did it is named either the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they did it when they were seven teams. <laughs> so this is a, the hardest league there is to have a three-peat. Uh, at least history would suggest that. Of those two storylines, I'm not asking you which one you, you, you think will win. I'm asking you which one your heart wants to win. Which of those two stories is more compelling? Well, hmm, that's an interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think the the three peat is more compelling. I think that's a that's a really really exciting thing when you talk about dynasty. When you talk about uh, you're cementing legacy of, of Andre Vasilevsky and and what they were able to accomplish. Um, I really do like. I mean, you didn't ask me which one I prefer. I, I do prefer the Colorado team to in this series. I think that the the, the just the Makar story alone is something to behold. Like the, the numbers he's putting up in his sophomore season is beyond imaginable. But uh, but yeah, I think this is this this storyline around Pat Maroon being Elliot mentioned Pat Maroon being to the finals. That this is his fourth time. There's one interesting kind of narrative here that I've been enjoying, and that's that Corey Perry's now back in the finals for the third time. And having lost the last two. So there's an interesting thing here of, is he going to be yet again, the jinx? (laughs) So you mentioned the Corey Perry thing, which I think is great because it's true. Corey Perry now third final in a row with his third different team, right? He went with Dallas, lost to Tampa Bay, (laughs) went with Montreal, lost to Tampa Bay. What are you going to do? If you can't beat him, join him, right? He joins Tampa Bay this year. It feels very reminiscent uh, of the Marion Hosa situation a few Mm -hmm. years ago, right? He played against, I, I believe he played four, Pittsburgh and lost to Detroit. Then he went and played for Detroit, lost to Pittsburgh, finally won one in in, uh, Chicago. Chicago. But the other one is Patrick Maroon, right? I think you mentioned him briefly, but Patrick Maroon has now been a part of 15 straight series victories in the playoffs. And he has a chance to win his fourth Stanley Cup in a row. 
which is insane, which is insane. That's a great statistic just as an individual player. Yeah. And, and, and for a guy like Patrick Maroon, who's not, you know, the leader on that team uh, offensively, not going to be the flashiest big, you know, but a guy who's worked hard, got where he is and has found immense success. And if he's the magic missing piece that got Tampa there in the first place, look at that. He's got them now to three finals in a row. If they can win it, it'll be four. I, I agree with Elliot. It's really hard to bet against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But if there was ever a team that I think was built the right way to compete with the firepower and the defensive and, and goaltending capabilities of the Tampa Bay Lightning. It is Colorado. They have such offensive potential. They have so many different weapons. They attack you in different ways. We obviously saw that as, as the Oilers. Even the Oilers' firepower couldn't contend with just the barrage that comes the other way. The only weakness that I think Colorado still has, and I do think that it was one the Oilers were unable to truly exploit, was the goaltending when lit up. We saw the the vulnerability of of that goaltending on both game one and in and in game four when the Oilers had them on the ropes. There is an opportunity for Tampa Bay to just overpower them. But I would also say to give Colorado a little bit of credit, they have also been able to push back against teams that have that have been been that competitive. They've only lost twice this entire playoffs. That is saying something about that team as a whole. Um, I think it's a great final. I think it's the it's the correct final as far as the two best teams are here right now. Um, Maybe not the two best teams coming out of the regular season because Florida probably would have arguably been the better team, but Tampa Bay beat them and that shows you they were better. So I think it's, it's exciting. It would have been fun to have New York there, but I don't think New York. um, I just don't think New York was as good a team. Uh, It was a great story for them to be there, but this is the better one. Elliot, let me, let me round this topic out like this. Um, We're going to do our picks in in a, in a, in a second, but if you had to pick like a dark horse on either one of these teams to be the hero or the, a guy who would come, not the Kale McCars, not the Nathan McKinnons, would you've watched Colorado? Who, who's the guy on Colorado? That's sort of the, the, the underrated guy or the unsung hero. And then who's the guy conversely on Tampa Bay that you would look for? You know, I really enjoyed and have been following the play of Devin Taves for Colorado. He kind of gets uh, like he not spoken of too much because, you know, he plays with Kale McCarr, I think, a lot of the time. And so he's sort of the guy in the back end. But he plays a really rugged, tough defensive game. He does get a lot of secondary assists. I think that's the kind of player that you that, that, that could make a show or do something kind of unique uh, in that space. Uh, and Tampa Bay, I mean... <laughs> How could you not take Patrick Maroon? I mean, <laughs> like that guy—he's just—he's just a champion. I, my question to you guys, and maybe this is ludicrous, I was sort of feeling like he was maybe on the fence for the Hall of Fame coming into this year, given the last three years that he's had. Mister Maroon. Yeah, if he goes and wins a fourth championship with a, a second team, hmm. is this debatable? Like, are we having no. that conversation? Nah. I think there's lots of guys who have multiple yeah. cups that haven't made it or made the impact. Yeah, I think that's the deserves. problem. I think Stanley Cups are like the often they're like the deciding factor on a really good statistical player who may or may not have got there. I'm thinking of a guy like Jerome McGinley. It's like the only thing missing from Jerome McGinley's resume is a Stanley Cup. Yeah, but Iggy will make it. It, it, it he did make it. He's in yeah, the Hall of Fame. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But my point being, that's but that so in that case, the Stanley Cup doesn't matter. It. I don't think the Stanley Cup carries the same weight on its own. Um, 
but that that like he doesn't have any other individual awards. I don't know if he's ever been an all-star. I don't think he's ever won a scoring title or been close to competing in any statistical titles. Maybe um, that's a factor. I don't know. Uh, it's a good question, though. And he certainly uh, is up there on the list of like most Stanley Cups by players. So that's a good question, Elliot, I guess. Uh, the, the other question I think you could ask is how many members of this Tampa Bay Lightning are, are destined for the Hall of Fame? I mean, there's at least three or four guaranteed. I mean, like I said, Vasilevsky's a lock. He's the best goalie of his generation. Victor Hedman is probably there. Stamkos is definitely there. Kucherov is on his way to being there. If he can have a, you know, he's still early enough in his career that it could go sideways. But if he continues at the pace he's on, that's at least four I can think of off the top of my head. And now you could argue, I know he hasn't been here long, but Corey Perry's a, if he wins a Stanley Cup, he's got everything else. That's at least five guys, right? I mean, that's Edmonton Oilers in the eighties. Good to have five guys off one roster. That's, that's a heck of a number. You add Patrick Maroon to that. That's six. I think Patrick Maroon is a real long shot for the hall of fame. Yeah. I never saw him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. I, I haven't seen him in the hall of fame, but a right, forward, right. That's the weird yeah. thing about it is it's, it's like, I'm just looking at the season stats and he's like, yeah, but half point player per game, but I just, he and he's impact. I mean, he scored a huge goal in this series again too. Like he just he just does it in the playoffs, and he's the. I don't know. I, I think there's a question there, particularly this streak of four cups and in four years. If that's where they go, that's insane. It's something, um, Braden. Uh, I'll go to you first for our pick. So, who do you have, and in how many games? Uh, I got Kale McCarr in um, five games. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're going to remember Fr- Pavel Francouz's name. I think that Francouz oh. might get a look in this series, and and he'll. Okay. There was something about his right-handedness that just. <laughs> yeah. He was surprising. He was really yeah, surprising, was and he's sure. a good goalie. So, uh, I think I think Colorado's going to take this in five. All right, Elliot. Uh, just because I want to see it, let's go Tampa Bay in seven, and they take the three P. Very nice. I will also take Tampa Bay. I think it's six games. Yeah, I'll go with six. Uh, I'll take Tampa as well. So, Brayden, you're you're the only one taking the Colorado Avalanche at this point, so you are the only one with a chance to really win this outright. Those are our picks. That is topic one. Do you like fast cars? Do you like when they race? Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you've just discovered the rush of racing... Check out the Pit Stop Podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Join Jordan, Tyler, and Braden each week. They recap every race as well as break down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race in the Formula One schedule. The Pit Stop Podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. All right, so a very big weekend in the world of golf this weekend. We had, obviously, the Canadian Open, which is uh, kind of one of the smaller tournaments in the PGA calendar, uh, obviously, I don't mean to take anything away from Canada and RBC and all of the sponsors involved with it, but it is not one of the uh, bigger or more cared about tournaments. However, this weekend, it really did have a much more prominent role as it was competing against the very first ever tournament by upstart rival golf uh, league, the LIV golf uh, league. I guess I'm not sure if it's live or live or it's, a, it's a, or roman it a roman numeral it's for 54 reference to the roman numeral got it 54. which makes it's... sense because it's only a three-round golf tournament and only 54 holes played instead of the traditional 72 thank you Braden. that's very there educational yeah cool. so there you go 
the big thing, the big storyline, however, about this was the um, basic abdication of several uh, major PGA stars leaving the PGA to go compete with this rival organization for ridiculous sums of money. But in doing so, they were uh, informed that they were forfeiting their PGA Tour cards and basically turning their back on what has been the only major golf um, league uh, event uh, in the world um, for the history of golf here. And here's the big thing about how this played out. So they had their first event. It was on ESPN. It did get a little bit of fanfare. Definitely. Um, very different in presentation and style to the PGA. They are trying to be young and hip and new and interested in gambling and, and, and all of this kind of stuff. Shotgun start, meaning for those who aren't familiar with golf, rather than the traditional start at the PGA where you would have a staggered start and everyone would start on the same hole and slowly move their way through the course. There's basically a, a threesome on every single tee box around the course, starting at the same time, playing on like a rotation. So you might start on 18, you might start on 16, and then you play the 18 the rest of the way around. It allows for the tournament to be faster. It allows for the tournament to be simultaneous, I guess, from the beginning of it. And, and it's just a different thing. We also saw, obviously, as Braden mentioned, only 52 holes. So it was only three days. And we also saw this brand new, very um, different look as far as team play. So every golfer golfing individually was drafted by a captain to one of 12 teams to start the tournament. So there were three man teams and you didn't compete, you know, you know, you didn't necessarily compete next to your teammates, but over the course of the day, your scores were aggregated and the top two scores counted towards team points, kind of like the formula one structure. So at the end of the tournament, there were not only individuals who were winning, but the teams themselves got an additional, the top three teams also got money from an additional pot. The big piece about this is the money. We cannot talk about this without acknowledging that this is funded by the Saudi government, the Saudi kingdom, um, and that the numbers are absolutely staggering. So I wanted to lead with this into this for, before I, I, I jump in with the guys. Dustin Johnson made more money this weekend just by joining this tournament. His signing bonus from the organization to join was $125 million. To put that into perspective, from August 27, 1996 to the present, Tiger Woods, the unequivocal greatest golfer of his generation, his entire total winnings from the PGA, including more majors than anybody else who he competed with as a contemporary, is 120895000 In one day, Dustin Johnson made $5 million more than the entirety of Tiger Woods' professional golf career. That is insane. The winner of the tournament this weekend, Charles Schwartzel, made more money in a winning purse than any golfer has ever made a single tournament in the history of golf. So I'll ask you this, Elliot. Are these golfers insane to be going to compete with this? Or are they just going and following the money? Well, they can be both, right? Like they can be <laughs> Fair enough. And also follow the money. <laughs> <laughs> I think they I mean, are. They are insane. I, I, I think optically it looks really bad. I mean, Dustin Johnson lost his sponsorship with RBC this week um, because he decided to play in this tournament. I don't think they were paying them $125 million. No, absolutely. But the exposure associated with that kind of a sponsorship and what that, mess, sure. that has meant for him. Yeah, you know, he was his commercials all over all golf and in Canada. He is sort of sure. the 
Um, so anyway, you know, that, yes. that, that's lucrative. So it, it goes to show you just sort of how much money's invested in this thing. Exactly. Right. Just to follow your point. I think the optics of playing in these tournaments are really bad. I, I, I think Saudi Arabia has got a, a, a horrific criminal or, you know, you know, a human criminal, yep. criminal. and, yep. and the, you know, their, their, their leader is uh, uh, literally murdered and dismembered a journalist that, that he didn't like uh, what he was being said, what was, what he was being said. Uh, facilitated or well protected by the then president of the United States at that time. Anyway, I, w- different show, different topic. Um, so I think that there is there is significant problems with this. That being said, I do think PGA Tour needed a shakeup. I think it needed to feel a little bit challenged and hopefully this leads to some reforms that make their game better i love the shotgun start i think watching a full day of golf versus four hours of golf is is actually a lot better um uh, i think that there's you, you know leaning into the betting stuff is good i you know i still prefer four rounds to three but i understand what they're doing i i just think you know this is probably the kind of competition pga and the pga tour needs to do something better but i think it's a poor choice by the players and i will think less of the players that are participating uh because they they uh they've made the decision to play in this so um braden i'll come to you with this here so obviously the pga tour pretty adamant in their uh response to this they they came out pretty quickly to denounce all these players leaving and threaten any future players who think about leaving and then throughout the entire broadcast of the final round of the weekend rounds frankly the entire weekend rounds of the rbc canadian open um both jim nance and uh the rest of the commentary team across the board made constant remarks regarding uh just the the quality of the golf at the pga level compared to the sideshow that they considered this other thing they've really clearly at the pga level they are they are fully aware of the threat that they face uh, and they are pushing back hard. Where do you come down on, on the PGA's response? Do you think it's a, does the PGA come out looking better or worse for how they have responded to this situation? Uh, Well, to to, to be clear, so they've suspended any player who has left the tour and they, yeah, they have suspended their tour cards. Correct. Right. Indefinitely. I think indefinitely. Yeah. I think they would have to apply to return um which they wouldn't yeah i again it's like this is this it's very transparent what this is and why these players left that the money is ridiculous and it's very clear too that saudi arabia doesn't care to make a profit on this i think that it's it's about exposure and getting the um you know golf happening in other um in other countries in other ways but it's also about i think like saudi trying to make themselves look better on a global stage when you've got, you know, these professionals that people care about and they, they, they want to watch play golf. And I don't think it's prevented anyone who watches the PGA from watching this tournament either. I mean, I haven't because I don't watch a lot of golf, but I would be curious to see what the, uh, what the viewership has been like. I mean, if it wasn't like you guys had mentioned with everything that's, that's happening and happened in Saudi Arabia and with uh, the, the dictator that's behind everything that's, that's happening there. I think that this would be a really, really important and good thing for the PGA to have another kind of competitive thing happening for golf and for, um, uh, just exposure uh, globally that that's much much more than just what the PTA provides but there is a dilemma there with what 
It's a problem. It's for sure a problem. So, um, uh, obviously, as I mentioned, the Canadian Open took place. Rory McIlroy winning it. I think for the PGA's perspective, that was great. They wanted one of their stars to be the star of the weekend. He was. He had a very, uh, very subtle jab at Greg Norman, who is the former PGA superstar, who is the executive running this other league now. Um, he basically said, "This will. This is Rory McIlroy said, this will be a day I'll remember a long, long time. 21st PGA win, one more than someone else. That gave me a little bit of extra incentive today. Obviously, he's talking about 20-time PGA Tour winner, Greg Norman. So this is clearly something they are all talking about. They are all aware of. Everybody in the PGA who has chosen to stay fully aware of the decisions they're making, I'm sure there are dozens of them who had very difficult decisions to make between the financial implications of going to this other league, choosing to do so and not staying behind and competing in the traditional PGA tour and all of the things associated with that. Here's my take on all of this. This reminds me of the XFL. And I don't mean in the sense that I expect the Saudi Arabia thing to fall apart. I don't mean that part of it. I mean, at the beginning of the XFL, the first time, And what the XFL was, was a fundamental threat to the NFL's monopoly on their sport in America. It was the recognition that there was only one game in town. Nobody really competed with them. Nobody pushed them to innovate. No one pushed them to change. The XFL came in as this haphazard, kind of messy, kind of sloppy, almost reality TV style version of of the sport. Was it lowbrow? Yes. Was it clumsy and not always very well organized yes did they make a lot of early mistakes yes but what they did get right was that they threw out the rule book in a lot of different ways that challenged the competitor in the, in the nfl to move forward in a lot of ways they weren't i think this is this is my big take on this i actually think that as much as the pga views this as an existential threat to their brand and their business it is very possible that this will be the best thing that has happened to them in the last decade. We've seen the, 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 the sort of falling off of tiger mania. They don't have a single superstar. This is a sport that is driven by the, the brand power of individuals. They just don't have a charismatic superstar to, to fall back on, to brand themselves, market them beside. They tried Rory. Didn't really work. They tried Dustin Johnson. Didn't really work. They tried Jordan Spieth. Didn't really work. All these different guys haven't really been able to pick up the torch the way Tiger did and carry it into the next thing. This is an opportunity to do that because now they have an enemy and they have a competitor that is doing something very different than what they're doing. It makes them, allows them to appear to be the more elevated version of the sport and it gives them this this foil. I also think there's an opportunity for them to let these other guys try things out. And if any of it works and catches on and fans like it, they can take it. The XFL is another good example. Where's the first league to ever try the sky cam? It's the XFL. They wanted their game to look like the video games. Every single NFL product you have seen in the last two decades has had cameras in the skies, cameras down on the field, a whole bunch of innovations just to the broadcast product that made the game better. But they would never have tried it if some wacky kind of crazy cousin out to the left tried it and they did and it worked i think this is going to be good for golf in the long run do i agree with elliot that there are huge problematic parts about the saudi backed part of this yes does it put a bit of a black mark on every one of the individuals who's chosen chosen to go there yes however at the same time we are talking about golf the most elite and problematic sport in america i think 
historically in terms of racism, in terms of money, in terms of opportunities for minorities and for women and for a whole bunch of different people to even participate at the, at the introductory levels. Golf has always had these issues. Is this a different problem? Yes, it's a different problem. But the truth is, at the end of the day, there are Russian oligarchs owning professional soccer teams, the Saudi uh, um uh, f- whatever the Saudi fund, whatever the, the term is for it, uh, owns Newcastle United in the Premier League. They are everywhere. They have proliferated sport across the board. That is a conversation, as Elliot said, maybe for another day. It is a big conversation. But I think you do have to table that and look at this from a different perspective for a moment, which is this could be good for golf. That's my take. I'll give you guys a chance to respond or dig in. Any last thoughts on any of that, Elliot? No, I think you're right. I think that there is an opportunity for this to be really good for golf. I think if they've been st- set in their ways for so long, that you know, outside of hockey, they might be the most conservative league. Um, and so, you know, I, I hope you're right. I, I just, I, I also think that how golf deals with this and, and the future of this situation is going to be really impactful because I think we might start seeing other leagues start, you know, forming. Uh, to challenge the existing best leagues, uh, you know, if this works out for this 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 group of Saudi investors. Braden, any last thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, when you look at the success of you know the KHL or the SHL, or there's leagues all over the world for hockey, and it, it only it only helps support the game and and the exposure of it. Um, there's absolutely a dilemma when it comes to the um, political uh, ties to the league, but that's I mean that's that's beyond the sport itself right now. And I think that there's, there's definitely some upside with, with having some competition for the PGA. And it is an evolving story. We will come back to and see how it grows. That is topic two. Do you or someone, you know, own a small business, are you looking to grow or to reach new customers? Hey, why not let us help? Hattrick is looking for unique brands, businesses, and products to advertise on our show. You can find out, how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. All right, topic three. As I said, we're going to play a quick game. It's a, it's sort of a, a each of us is going to pick a player of the three players that I'm going to bring up in a second. It's the offseason for the Edmonton Oilers. There are some very big decisions that Ken Holland has to make and that the organization needs to make about some of their young talent who are on expiring deals. Obviously, there are bigger pieces we're, we're not going to talk about today of Andrew Kane. Will he, won't he be able to stay? Will they, will they be able to afford him? We're not going to talk about goaltending. We're not going to talk about any of those things. We're going to talk about three specific players who are, were all at different points in the season and in the playoffs, very valuable for the Oilers, very um, competitive for the Oilers, but I would also argue uh, not controversial, but definitely like lightning rods for conversation for lots of different reasons. Good, bad, ugly. Those are three players that I want to talk about because all three are in expiring contracts are Ryan McLeod, Jesse Pugliarvi, and Kyler Yamamoto. They are all very similar in age, uh, young players under 25, and players who are clearly proven themselves to be NHL caliber players. The question is, if you can only keep one, who is it? I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm not saying the Oilers won't find a way to keep two, maybe all three. But if you can only keep one, who's it going to be? We've each taken one of those players to champion. I'm going to go to Elliot first. Elliot, I know that yours is very controversial for a lot of people. I want to know why you believe if we can only keep one, it has to be Jesse Pugliarvi. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, this is really tricky, right? All three of these players are very good, and they're all very good at different things. And as you said, at different times throughout the season have been, you know, impactful players. The reason why I think Jesse Bouliarvi is the way to go is that I think he has the highest upside of the three players. He where he is the biggest player and that size does matter. And he has the potential to be a really meaningful, engaged power forward. And when he has played like that this year and in years previous, he's been immensely successful when they've put him in front of the net in the power play or when he's been fighting board battles down the side, he has been very successful. Where he lacks is a little bit in his skills and his skills coach, but that's what his skills coach is for. And what I like about Jesse Pugliarvi is that it seems like every time he's lacking at something or there's something that he's not uh, doing up to standard, uh, he he will get called out on it <laughs> and, and uh, you know, by his coaches and his teammates, and then he corrects it. And works to correct it. So playing physical or being a big body or, uh, you know, not uh, backing down in board battles. We saw that be an immense, you know, grow in his game this year. And it was incredibly, impact, incredibly impactful. Um, he got a push to be more physical in the playoffs. And in, a lot, in the latter half of the series with Colorado, he was. Did he miss some big shots and some big opportunities to score? Absolutely. But he also scored in the playoffs too and proved he compete in that level. And I think in terms of size and actual upside, also, the fact that he's probably going to be the cheapest of the three, uh, and for a team that's really up against it from a cap standpoint, that might be something that's really valuable to the team as well, too. That's why I think Jesse Pugliarvi is the one to go. All right, Braden, uh, you are taking Kyler Yamamoto. Tell me why we should keep Yamo. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's, I think it's obvious. I think it's very clear that Yamo's got the most skill of these, these three RFAs. Uh, he put up a 41 point season with 20 goals and played all but one game this year. That's massive. And, and it showed, I mean, he, he was a, a really important impact player on the, on the right side for like three different lines throughout the year. He could play on every single line there the guys trust him i think what makes yamo although he's undersized there's such a fight in his play i th- i love what he does um uh, offensively he, he keeps plays alive his puck pressure is, is 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 excellent um i mean w- one counter to this is yamo's now given uh reason for his asset value to be a lot higher than the other two players. I, I think McLeod also kind of is, is in that category. It's going to be harder to move uh, uh, a Pugliarvi as it would be probably with stats and the way that he's been playing. I think if the others can keep ammo, they should do everything that they can uh, to make that happen. All right. So I'm going to take Ryan McLeod and I'm, I'm going to say three things. Number one, uh, speed. He is the fastest of all three of these guys on a team that we criticized about two years ago for not being able to play at full tempo. We obviously have the fastest player in the world in Connor McDavid, but this team lacked the ability to be able to attack at speed and whether he's playing with Connor, which we did see a couple times, but more importantly, when he is not, he's able to push and generate scoring opportunities with his feet more so than any other player on the roster outside of Connor. He's an incredibly explosive player. Number two, I think he has the most upside in terms of potential. Does he yet, has he yet gotten to where Yamamoto has shown he's capable of it at the NHL level? No, but Ryan McLeod has come on so quickly and so fast in the last two years. Uh, 
only played 71 games this year with the Oilers, started the season in Bakersfield, but when he came up, he made himself completely uh, essential to what they were doing. He was able to drive a line as a centerman, make sure that he was getting better in the face-off circle. We saw some big face-off wins for him in game four of the, you know, the, 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 uh, what ended up being the, the deciding game for, for Colorado, but as a young player at only 22 years old, to be able to go into a playoff series and, and hold your own in a face-off dot is important. This is what this team needs moving forward. I know that he holds more potential uh, than what we've actually yet seen in, in terms of Yamo and Pugliarvi. I think that's just about opportunity. However, again, at 22 years old to go in and play, 16 playoff games have four goal for, pardon me, four points, three goals and an assist. And, and all three of those goals were important, big game goals and moments when the Oilers needed them. He was able to show that he can play on the biggest stage. And the third thing I think is that when it comes to what the Oilers have lacked over the last few years too, is it's genuine, uh, homegrown, um, drafted, developed, and kept centermen. And that is something that is hard to get in this league. It's the, the only thing harder is goaltending, but to be able to actually develop and keep your own NHL quality centermen is hard to do. He is a true centerman. He is not Kyler and, and Yessi are both wingers by, by, you know, the way they've always played. Ryan McLeod is a centerman. And I think that that has to go into the column for him. That's my, that's my first pitch. I, um, I'm going to do this really quickly. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to give Elliot you a second to pick either Ryan McLeod or Yamamoto and give us the reason why you think Pugliarvi should stay instead of one or the other. And then I'll let the other person uh, defend that. You've got uh, 30 seconds. Go. Well, I think that I would take uh, Yessi over Kyler Yamamoto. And, and I think we've all sort of this, you know, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think we've all agreed that, Yamamoto's the most skilled, Ryan McLeod's the most, the, the quickest, and yes, he's the biggest. And I think that there's it, no question about that. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> he's got a big boot. And but, I think in 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 today's modern NHL game, um, you need size to be able to compete. And while I do accept that Yamamoto had a good playoff start, he did fall away towards the end and was actually concussed and hurt. Um, you know, if for the final game that the Oilers played. And I think that, you know, he is not Martin St. Louis. And I, I think he's going to get bad. He's, he's, he's a injury prone. And I think he will continue to get banged up in the NHL. And for what you're going to have to pay him for that kind of liability, I think that's why SD is the better. Oh, my goodness. So, Braden, do you want to respond to that? Absolutely. I think there's you have 30 no seconds. Merit. Go. There's no absolute no merit in anything that you just said. You said it's injury prone. He played 81 games this season. You said Jesse Pogliarvi had more upside in the playoffs. He had five points. He was absolutely pathetic in the playoffs this year. And he has been the last two years that we've been in the playoffs with Jesse Pugliarvi. Pugliarvi does some things off the puck well, yes, but I think he is much more of a liability on your team right now, trying to win a championship. And when you look at what he plays and on right wing, We've got a guy coming up, Xavier Burgo, we just drafted. He won't make the show next year, but he just won the, he, they just won their, the QMGHL on his back. This, like, he, he, Jesse is expendable right now. And I don't think that you try to, to hold on to him. I mean, the, all right. All right. That's your 30 seconds. You did it. well. You, you did very well, Braden. I'm going to let you now take a, a shot at, uh, you kind of just took it at Pooley So I'm going to assume you're going to go after McLeod, but you can take another shot at Pooley if you want. But tell me why you should keep Yamamoto specifically over one or the other of these two other players. Well, I think you absolutely 
keep Ryan McLeod. I think, I think it's Pugliarvi. I, I mean, if you can afford both McLeod and Yamo, I think that that is an absolute upside for the Oilers moving forward. I think Jesse has to, to help this team moving forward. That's pretty much it. I mean, you said everything that I agree with with McLeod. He's fast. And what's cool about that is he makes it seem, it, it seems like McDavid's on the ice. And I think it surprises players that all of a sudden see this burst of speed and it's not McDavid. Um, the MC on the back also helps confuse players. But I think Kyler Yamamoto and Ryan McLeod are the two guys that you, you try to hold right. on to with these RFAs. So, Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to let Ellie respond to that because the two of you are basically going after each other. So let me jump in here for fun. Um, really quickly, though, two things. Number one, Yessi Pugliarvi played the least regular season minutes of any of these three players. Don't tell me he's not injury prone. Number two, Braden, you gave Yessi Pugliarvi five points in the playoffs. He had three points in the playoffs. He had two the previous year. He's got five two, total, yeah, total for the yeah. career. Yeah. That's not great. All yeah. right. Here's the thing, though. Ryan McLeod. The reason we're keeping Ryan McLeod is because of his speed, his center ability, and what he brings offensively. However, I have to side with Elliot in the sense that I do believe that size is still important on the, on the wings. And I would argue that if you're keeping Ryan McLeod, you don't need Kyler Yamamoto. Kyler Yamamoto is a very, very talented player. And look, uh, let's be honest. All three of us would love to keep all three of these guys. I think that's fair. I don't no, think any no, of- no, no, no. I, I don't want to keep Yasipuliarvi. I don't think wow. that that's helpful for the team moving forward. I think that he showed, he showed, he did not show up in the playoffs at all. I think, I think, yes. Okay. I'm not going to try to defend Elliot's cleric, but, but just for a sec, I do think Jesse Pugliarvi has a lot <laughs> of things. physical traits he needs to grow into. He always looks a little bit like a deer on skates for me. He's always a little bit out of control. If he could get that whole body dialed in and, and, and play like a Ryan Getzlav, like size wise, he'd be phenomenal. The thing I was trying to say though, about Kyler Yamamoto is my, my, my issue with Yamamoto has nothing to do with his stats. He's a fen- phenomenal player. Like he, he put up 41 points this year. He had a career year. He's going to be a superstar in this league. The challenge is that what the Oilers desperately need is a genuine uh, winger who can play on the top line night in and night out. They need a Vander Kane. They need a player like that moving forward. And the, the challenge you have on this team is we have to look at it in two groups. You've got your top six and your bottom six. Yamamoto by all definitions skill-wise should be a top six player, but he's not a top six player on this current roster consistently enough. He hasn't been able to, to make it work. We were shuffling him around all year. So he's the piece that I don't, that I think you need to find a replacement for more so than a centerman. And I'll go back to that point again, centermen are the hardest thing oh, for sure. to find. And that's why for me, McLeod has to stay. And if it's going to be Yessi or, or Yamo going, then it's one or the other. Elliot, like I'll give I you- said too, like Yamo's got the higher trade asset value right now. So that, that is something to consider. All right, we're going to really quickly do our closing statements here because this is a very formal and, um, and properly organized debate. So I'm going to, we're going to do this in the reverse order. I made Elliot go first uh, on his opening statement, so we'll give him the final word. I will go first. In closing, I believe that Ryan McLeod is the one of these three players that you must keep because I think that in the end, when the Edmonton Oilers find themselves back in the Western Conference Finals next year, and they find themselves in a deciding game in overtime, and there is a face-off in their own zone, you want a centerman you can count on to go back there and win that face-off. And of all of the young players coming up for the Edmonton Oilers, and certainly all three of these guys here, I feel more confident knowing that Ryan McLeod is back there taking that face-off than any 
of the other two here or any other young centerman we have in the system. Ryan McLeod to me has the most ups upside. I have never seen a player come out of the minor league and into the NHL for the Oilers as prolifically and as efficiently as he has in the last two years, every single minute he's played at the NHL, I have thought he believed he belonged there. Yeah. And, and I really truly believe that, 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 that will continue to, he will just continue to get better and better and better. Ryan McLeod must be on the Edmonton Oilers roster next year. I rest my case. Braden, Kylie Yamamoto, uh, closing statements. Yeah, Kyler, for sure. I think that, I think the team is better with him. Uh, it's, I mean, he proved it on the stat sheet. He proved it on three different lines this year. He stayed healthy. Uh, he's feisty. He, he, he doesn't shy away from battles. He hits, he does everything you want on the ice. And if, if that can continue to help the Edmonton Oilers win, then that's what you do to, uh, you, you try to keep him. And if they can win by trading him or moving him, then I guess that is also an option because of how valuable he is as a player. Um, to argue your point about coming into the NHL from the minors, I think we're going to see incredible excitement with Dylan Holloway, but that's not who we're talking about. All right. Thank you. That was very helpful. Uh, <laughs> Elliot, the floor we're is yours. talking about all the wrong things, though. We really need to be talking about the goaltending here soon. <laughs> Elliot, the floor is yours. You know, ultimately, you know, the, the truth is... Jesse and Pooley already played goal. Yeah, he can play Because then there's an argument. Look, he could he could potentially play goal because of his best attribute, his size. His size. It's <laughs> about being big and tough, and uh, he's got all of the uh, physical attributes, the intangibles, the things you can't coach. It's just about getting him to a a, a level, um, you know, that where his skill is at an NHL level, and I think that he's total. There's totally the potential to do it, and if we're going to be looking at multiple playoff runs year over year over year. You need someone big and durable, and I think Yesipuliarvi is the way to go with that. Plus, just get him I know it's your closing statements, but I have to ask you a question: Have you ever seen a player though as big as that who looks more confused when he <laughs> meets contact? Yeah. Like someone yeah. pushes or shoves him, and he literally looks like he thought they were playing tennis. Yeah. Yakupov yeah. is a bit like that. Too. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But anyway, I've never seen anyone like lick their brains as much either. His yeah, tongue is always up his nose. Yeah, he's uh, he's got a long tongue. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. I don't think we've come to any kind of consensus, but the great news is this. None we of us have to <laughs> have to. That's right. <laughs> we will wait and see what Ken Holland has uh, in store for the Edmonton Oilers in the uh, offseason. And I'm sure we will have plenty more conversations about it. That was our very first and maybe only ever, although it was kind of a fun game. Addition uh, uh, of what did I call the game? You can only keep one. Um, all right. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Braden. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples. 
as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.